So, hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I am Dave. And um, for those uh, who aren't on Dopey social media, uh, the worst thing that could have ever happened, happened. And uh, Chris relapsed and died. And here I am alone at my dad's um, with one microphone plugged into the mixer with GarageBand open on my computer recording Dopey, which uh, I've never done. Every time we ever did it, Chris uh, would record it on his computer, and I would be able to futz around. Um, And now uh, this is going to be very weird. It's going to be very weird, and it's obviously very, very, very sad. Um, I've gotten a lot of uh, messages and emails and texts and all sorts of communication from you guys, which, uh, you know, made me feel great, except for the fact that Chris died, which, um, just wrecked me, you know, it made me feel incredibly sad, uh, and incredibly angry and, uh, incredibly shocked. Uh, one of the things that I heard about from you guys a lot was how, uh, bad he sounded in the past episodes. And he did. He sounded terrible in the past episodes. The past, uh, I would say, I mean, I'd go back till probably the one where Todd died. That um, Chris was pretty good at that episode. And I don't know when he relapsed. But in my, my guess is that it happened around then just because his reactions to things were so different. And... We even talked about it in another episode where uh, we talked about him not being accountable and people being concerned about him. Uh, I heard from graphic design Ryan, and I spoke to his sponsor, Dylan, and I spoke to him, and the fact of the matter was that Chris was a very savvy liar. He was a very, very smart and charming person, and he didn't want to cop to the fact that he was using He didn't want to stop using, I think, or maybe he was scared. I I can't say what he was going through, and I'm sure it was very hard because uh, sobriety was so important to him and recovery was so important to to him that I'm sure there was a lot of pain and there was a lot of uh, shame. And I think there was probably a little bit of a thrill, too, because here he was, he had finished his master's program, and he was about to do his PhD, and he, um, he was getting high, and he had this beautiful girlfriend, and he had all of these good things, and he got to use at the same time. And I'm sure uh, it was confusing for him, and I'm sure, you know, I can't say. I, I do not know what, uh, what he was going through or what was happening. I do know that like everybody else who ever got high, Chris changed and he became um, a little, way more of a dick than he was when he wasn't. You know what I'm saying? Like he was uh, agitated all the time. He wasn't interested in things. Um, me and Chris basically were do dopey forever. And um, the reason it worked, it worked for a lot of reasons. It worked because it was super fun. It worked because me and him were were great friends. It worked because uh, we loved to talk. It worked because he laughed at my stupid shit. 
it worked because he was the worst addict ever and had been around so much recovery that he knew every aspect of it. He knew every aspect of, of just about any drug, and he knew every phase of recovery, the psychobabble talk, the easy talk, everything. Um, and, and we managed to, to do a show that was like pretty interesting, which is why you guys are so um, involved, you know, and also... I have to say that we did the show, uh, at first we did the show for each other and it was super fun. And, um, and then we started to hear from you guys, but we kept doing it for each other. And the show was just me and him sitting together and talking. And it just, it gave us so much joy and fun and then the accoutrements to it were fun like seeing how many downloads and seeing who we could get to come on and hearing from you guys and playing voicemails and and reading stories and all of that stuff became so fun now um i'm alone doing this and it's very weird um i have a bunch of stuff that i figured i would try to do and um you know, maybe we'll just jump into it, because as always, when I do Dopey, I am unprepared. And, uh, you know, I always would make fun of Chris and tell him that um, he should be better at riffing, you know, being able to just talk while I figured out what we were going to do. Or, I, you know, I was very hard on Chris, and, um, and I never thought that he would die. And, um, and now I feel really bad that I was so hard on him on the show, but I always knew that uh, we were so tight, and I knew that he knew I was playing. And I think a lot of it was shtick because I really wanted uh, the show to be interesting, and I wanted the show to be compelling, and I knew conflict drive to show, and I knew that if I made fun of him, it was funny. But sometimes I took it too far, and, um, and now I feel terrible because that's a piece of our legacy is that I was an asshole to Chris and Chris was just, uh, the most amazing guy. You know, he was, uh, incredibly sweet. He was incredibly funny. He was so smart. He was just, I mean, it's weird to say it because he loved to shoot Coke and heroin and, you know, take, you know, LSD and do whatever drugs he could. But Chris probably like many of us was a a total innocent And if you sat with him, you knew what an innocent he was and how sensitive he was and how a lot of stuff like it just it affected him differently than it affected other people. He he like he almost didn't get it a lot of the time. You know, emotionally, he was a little bit disconnected and um, he was so fun to hang out with and he loved doing the show Um he loved uh, laughing, and he loved making fun of each other, and he loved it when you made fun of him because he knew that you knew him. You know, when I made fun of him, he would laugh so much, and um, most of the time, it wasn't too harsh. He would laugh so much, and I just feel like that was the secret to the show was him laughing, you know, and then all of the other stuff. Now... Dopey, we did Dopey in the first place because Chris, I mean, I've told this story a million times, so I'm just going to say it again. We did Dopey because Chris wanted to do something 
interesting, and he knew that I liked to do projects. I always dreamed of having a show. I used to have a little web series. I always wanted to have another show. Podcasting was getting big, and I always wanted to have a podcast, but I never had an idea of what a podcast could be. And Chris was like, I had just made the stupid Oy Vey t-shirts, and I was working on the Othello cookies, and if you guys don't remember that, those were the black, the two-sided black and white cookies that were black and white in every bite. And Chris was like, I don't know about these Oy Vey shirts, and I don't know about these Othello cookies, but I know you're going to do something, and I want to be a part of it. Um, and Chris and I met in rehab, so I just figured the part he would be... Uh, he just had the best drug stories ever. And he was such a masterful storyteller that I wanted him to come on and, and tell the stories. And I figured I would tell the stories. And I, you know, as we talked about on the Arnie Lang episode, I loved uh, listening to drug stories. And I knew that other people did. And I knew that our drug stories were as or more compelling than anybody else's. So I was like, let's just do that. And as we started the show, we didn't place a high premium on our recovery. It was just kind of implied because we were both sober. Um, I had like, I had like three or four months when we started doing the show, and Chris had um, a year and a half, and we were both very active in our recovery, and we both um, were working steps, and I think Chris had his first sponsee at the time. And and I was just fresh off of using, but I had been around recovery so much that I knew that I had to really be invested in my recovery if it was going to work because it had never worked up till then. <clears throat> and the truth was, I really believed everything Chris said. Um, he really helped me get clean in the first place. And I called him constantly and I did what he said. And... Um, it's one of the reasons that I just didn't notice uh, his strange behavior. Like, as he grew distant and as he grew more agitated, I would question him all the time. Today is Friday. You know, uh, he died on Tuesday. On Monday, we recorded that terrible last episode on Saturday. And just so you guys know, the way that happened was we were supposed to... Um, record on Friday. Chris was on a job being a sober companion for some kid in Texas. And I was like, dude, we should record on Thursday. And he was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to. I think I'm going to keep the kid up in the next room. And he was like, we could just record on Friday night. And Friday night came and went. And I was like, and I got nervous, but I knew he had just flown home and he had to see Annie and, you know, he was exhausted and whatever. So I was like, we could just record it on Saturday and put it out on Saturday night. I think that was the story. Maybe he came home on Saturday. I don't know. So he comes home and, um, you know, obviously now I know that he was using. But as far as I knew then, he was exhausted. And, you know, he, he texted me that he was in this fight with Annie and he didn't know that he could record. And this is the last episode that everybody's listened to and said, how could you not know Chris was high? So anyway, he was in this big fight with Annie, and I'm like, let's do the show. You know, I'm lying on my couch watching Breaking Bad, you know, getting tired. I do not do well at night, as you guys probably have heard on different episodes. And I'm just like, we got to do this, we got to do this. And he's like, I think I need to go to the gym, and that'll clear my head. 
and he was probably high and he probably wanted to go to the gym um, to give himself some energy. But I think he was also actually fighting with Annie. And he comes back from the gym and then he's like, I need another hour. So by the time we sat down to record episode 142, unfortunately, the last episode that um, we were ever going to do with him, that we were ever going to do together, um, uh, he wasn't ready, you know, and, um, and then we turned on the Skype and he looked like shit. And I have to say that he's kind of looked like shit for the last five weeks. When we went to do the Artie Lang episode, he was totally gray and he looked like shit. But he always had a million excuse cards to play. And it was always exhaustion and it was always that he was running around. So by the time we went to record episode 142, he looked at me with these tired eyes. And I've been in enough fights with Linda to know what it's like to feel so stressed out that you can't think straight and he had that crazy look in his eyes and I thought he was just distracted and upset and now of course I know he was high and I was he was like not gonna he was just gonna fuck around on the show and I said to him if you don't address what happened I'm not gonna do the show and the funny thing is I bet you part of him considered coming clean and telling everybody that he had gotten high and um the funny thing is that if he had done that, instead of the worst Opie episode that we ever made, except for probably this one, uh, it would have been the best because he would have been honest. And, um, you know, after basically three years of making this show, he would have uh, admitted that, that his program fell apart and that he needed help. And it could have really been amazing for you guys and more than that, it probably would have saved his life. And he'd be alive right now, and he'd probably be in rehab, and I'd probably be recording by myself anyway. But um, I didn't realize he was high. I thought he had lost interest. I thought he was tired. I thought he was miserable. And um, it was very, 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 very hard to look back. I mean, like, even before he died, I heard from five different people who were like, you need to have an intervention for Chris, you know, and I, and I told him, you know, and then on Monday, I was talking to him after the weekend and after, you know, he had put the episode up where he said my last name, he said he was going to delete it. I saw that it wasn't deleted, so I took it down, and I figured out how to edit my last name out, and I put it back up. He didn't put the theme song on it after he had said in the beginning that he wanted the theme song on it. It was just like he was so fucking out of it. Um, and then I wound up put, putting the theme song on it, putting it back up, but I was so stupid, I wound up putting in like 12 minutes of blank space. And on Monday morning, he got so angry at me because I had edited it badly. He was like, why didn't you just give me another hour and it would have been fine? And I was like, motherfucker, it was because you put my last name in it and then I'm going to beg you to take it down. And it just went back and forth. And then he, he wound up taking it down and taking out that hole, but he never put the theme song on it. And then we got into this long conversation where I said, you know, you're acting very weird. And if you want to um, come clean, uh, it could really be good for you. And, and I said, well, that's not what I said, because I didn't know he was using. I said, I said, if you were using, you should know that you should tell me and we could take care of it. 
And, and instead of acknowledging what I said, he just said, you as well, uh, which was basically, fuck you. I feel like if I ever relapsed and used, I, I just wouldn't be able to keep it a secret. Like, it's just not the way I handle my drugs. I think, I mean, I'm not close to fucking relapsing. Uh, I believed Chris when he said he wasn't close, but I'm not close to relapsing. Uh, I just, I don't want to get high. I like being sober. I like being accountable. I've got, obviously, my baby. I've got Nora. I've got Linda. I've got this house. If I use, it'll all fall apart, and I won't get to be who I want to be. You know, and I think maybe Chris was starting to become who he wanted to be, but um, it scared him. But what I really think the reason for the relapse was, was that injury in Anguilla. I think he hurt his leg, and I think the pain fucked him up, and I bet you he got a taste of some sort of painkiller, and it creeped in slowly, and it turned into uh, addiction. You know, it turned into heroin. It turned into pills. It turned into whatever it turned into. Uh, and we'll get into the details as we go forward. Um, I spoke to uh, my sponsor about it, and he was just like, what did he say? Well, it's kind of just the obvious thing, which is, um, you know, Chris actually says it uh, way before it ever happened. I'm going to play this this thing that Chris had said, and it's basically what happened. Hold on. I've been exposed to other things that have been extremely beneficial in my life and have helped me because if I stop doing the things um, which I've done um, that help me, that sort of center me, um, I immediately go back to that baseline restlessness, irritable, and discontentness. And if I do that, I can only make it a matter of hours, weeks, months until mm -hmm. I pick up a drink or a drug. That's the longest I can last on my own willpower. So it literally, I have to replace it with something else. And then, um, and I'm interested in those things. That's the great thing today is that like I have passion in them, and there's something that I'll actually pick up. I mean, I watch a lot of TV and eat a lot of ice cream. Don't get me wrong, but those are the things that like um, when I'm not, you know, uh, vegging out or something that I'll actually um, explore on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, Think you had, uh, so so that's that's what he's saying that um basically he has to keep a program of recovery together in order to keep himself spiritually fit, which he didn't do. You know, he he admitted to me a million times that he had stopped going to meetings, that he was barely calling his sponsor. I think in a way he had replaced all of his um twelve step work and spiritual work with school. He had hurt himself, so he wasn't going to the gym. I think he was at a, a total empty spiritual place, and the addiction snuck back in, and um, it took him. You know, uh, we're going to call. I just want to apologize if I'm all over the place. Obviously, I've never done this uh, by myself before, and it's weird, but I'm going to call up Chris's girlfriend now and... Uh, we will hear some more of this story. So let's get Annie on the phone. Hello? 
Hello. Hey. You're on the you're hey, on you're, you? you're on the show. Oh, hello everybody. How are you feeling? I'm pretty shitty. Yeah, what are you doing? I was actually reading an old email that Chris um, wrote for me when we first started dating. Do you want to read it? What? Do you want to read it or no? No, I can just summarize it. So, well, as all the listeners know, um, Chris dated Olga before he dated me. And at the beginning of a relationship, I, I had some doubts about how serious he was about me and how much he was just maybe trying to make Olga jealous. He wrote me this amazing email where he, it was the first time he truly said to me that he truly cared about me and that for the first time in his life, he was feeling that this was right and he was invulnerable with somebody and opening his heart to somebody. And I think very shortly after he sent that email, he actually told me he loved me for the first time. Mm. That's very sweet and sad, right? Yeah, that's exactly how I've been feeling. Just I remember him and I, I smile and I think of all the great times we had together and then I get really sad because He's not here anymore. Yeah. I was just talking about, um, I was basically talking about, you know, I'm trying to make sense of the relapse, you know, and obviously anything that I say is just my idea. I wasn't in Chris's mind and Chris wasn't forthcoming about what was happening. But he was forthcoming about some things, like the fact that when you guys went to Anguilla, he got hurt. Uh-huh. And, yes. and he was forthcoming about the fact that he had stopped going to meetings. Um, yeah. Did you feel like the mix of those things? Like, when do you think it all happened? I, I, that's constantly on my mind um, all the time. I think, I think it was definitely the last month something happened at some point. Um, I keep thinking that different things, one's the injury, one was the injury. I know he was in a lot of pain and just by me being in medicine, he tear a ligament and, uh, in the back of his leg and, and that, that tends to be a really, really painful injury. So the injury was so painful he couldn't sleep. And he was spending a lot of time trying to sleep and not being able to fall asleep and then being woken up by the pain. And it was that. It was the fact that he... And I think this happens a lot to people that have been in recovery for a while. Like, they start getting comfortable. So they kind of stop going to meetings as frequently or stop working as hard in their recovery as they, as they once were because they start feeling like, I got this, you know? Yeah. Um... And the other thing was that he was increased, like incredibly overworked. Um, he was in a lot of things, and he, there wasn't a lot of self-care. Um, the only thing he had that he did for self-care was workout. He would religiously work out 
every day, you know, go sweat um, for half hour, an hour in the elliptical and it always made him feel better. But he wasn't able to do that anymore because of the injury. So he really had no outlet for all the restlessness, uh, the discontent, the irritability, you know, like that he would that he would always say that that's kind of like the trademark of addiction, you know, the the discontent, the irritability, and the restlessness. And well, he would always say so restlessness, that, irritability, and discontent, the baseline, is what he would always say. Yes, yes. exactly. And, yes. and I did notice that in him. I saw it, and, and I was concerned, and I suggested going to yoga. Um, I suggested he, we go to yoga together. I think we did that one time. Um, I think it, it made him feel better, but you know, he was also at the time very concerned about finances because um, he was, you know, he was so overworked. And he had been really overworked for the last year, so he was leaving the job that he had at, uh, as a silver, at, at a silver living house where he was managing. And the same time that was happening, I, I, I do remember that there was like a very um, difficult case of somebody that he was dealing with in the sober living, and I think he confiscated some drugs from this person. Mm. And um, he also had an MRI done that I was supposed to drive him to, but he refused. Um, and uh, this was a doctor that didn't know him. So I think at some point, either when he confiscated drugs from uh, from somebody he was taking care of, or when he went to the MRI, I think at some point he got his hands on something. Do you think, think do you think it was more likely that he got it from the from the the client or the or the prescription? I actually don't know. I actually don't know. I think I think either is is very likely. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Probably like between 4 and 6 weeks ago. Yes. Yes, I think either is very likely and I think I think it was a combination of combination of a lot of things. Um I you know, Chris Chris was always very stubborn. And every time I try to make some sort of um, comment about, hey, baby, I think you're really overworked and you need to take some vacation time and do maybe other things, he would always meet me, you know, with the resistance. And um, it wasn't until maybe I gave him some time to think about that he would come back to me and be like, I think you're right. I think I should do this or that. And I remember that during that time, I was very concerned about him. About him, I was very concerned because I was seeing behavior that was very unlike him. He would he wouldn't be able to sleep. He would stay awake all night, all night, and then sleep all day, and not working out. And just in general, we would get into silly fights because he was in a bad mood, and he was in a lot of pain. And um, I remember. That at some point, um, I was still not quite alarmed. I think I became the most alarmed. Um, I mean, also, I want to clarify one thing. Uh, my schedule was really hectic. I was back in clinic. I was at the. I was actually working at the, the emergency department, the psychiatric emergency department at Boston Medical Center. So my schedule was really busy, and I was in home uh, the same way that I was in the past. So he was home all the time because he had just finished the semester. So I think that maybe the behaviors probably started a lot sooner that I noticed, but I didn't notice sooner because I wasn't home as much. Yeah. And it's also like around that time, 
around that time, like, my life got much busier because we had just had the baby and we had just moved. And, like, I was constantly running around and not hearing from him, but also not, like, up his ass to hear from him because I was too busy. And, and, like, he was so busy all the time, I just kind of assumed he was busy, you know? And yeah. and then like it just makes me wonder. It's like the second he put a drug into his body, all bets were off. You know. Uh, yeah, I I agree. I agree. I I think I think it'd be very hard for any human, any human to have this the the, the serious injury that he had and not not be able to take any medication. I know he was taking meloxicam, and meloxicam is a very strong NSAID. Probably one of the strongest NSAIDs that you can prescribe to somebody. Anti-inflammatory. And, yeah, and anti-inflammatory. And that wasn't even remotely taking the edge off at all. Like that, that type of medication wouldn't even take the type of like wouldn't even like do anything to the type of injury that he was having. But he was also. But he also just sort of had that addicty thing. He carried those pills, the meloxicant and his uh, what you call it, the uh, Benadryl in his vape case and he would open it up and take it like it was something else i would be like online in the supermarket and i'd be like what the fuck are you doing he'd be like oh this is my loxicant and i was like i don't know you know he could have been anything you know what i mean it it could have no no he always you're right he always carried meloxicant benadryl melatonin and uh, renatidine for his uh, heartburn with him at all times he was a he was a i mean like a good addict he was the walking part of him um, and he always carried those things with him. Um, so at some point, I think in the last month, he, he, I'm going to guess, and this is just my guess based on previous conversations I've had with him, previous things. I think, I think at some point he got a hold of the box and that, that would have been the easiest thing, especially if he was, um, working with anybody that was an addict or trying to recover. I mean, it's, it's very easy to get, to get your hands on the box and, and it's just a strip, and when you've been clean for a long time, and you take Suboxone, just a little bit of it makes you very high. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that's what he started with, and then he graduated to heroin and and cocaine. Cocaine was always his drug of choice, um, and I think I think he probably did some heroin to get the edge of cocaine because um, not only I mean IV cocaine was his drug of choice, and the thing is. He would go without sleeping for days, and at first I thought that he wasn't sleeping because because of the pain, and because he kept saying that his schedule was all off and he couldn't fall asleep, and and I just thought it was stress and a bunch of other things. I, I actually never thought it was it was that, and, and I actually did confront him a couple of times with like, "Is everything okay? Are you using anything?" And he he would always respond with, um, "You know, when I use, I can't keep my shit together," and. Because I knew that his drug of choice was uh, IV cocaine and and alcohol, I, I actually never thought that. I thought, well, like if he gets drunk, because then there's really no way of hiding that. Um, like he's gonna smell and act like he's drunk. And cocaine, I always figure like that I will be able to tell that he was high on coke. That's not something like. I mean, I've seen people high on coke, and, and, and that would have been very out of character for him, but, but it was very, very subtle. Like, he's, there were changes, but they were very subtle. There was nothing that was, like, 
dramatically different for anybody to be like, oh, wow, something's happening. He's high. You don't think, um, so? do you think, I mean, it sounds to me like he shot coke after you went to bed, you know? Yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what he did. Um, he will, like, of course, I was in clinic. I had to get up at, like, 5, 6 in the morning, and I was gone all day, sometimes 12 hours at a time. And so I have a feeling that that's what happened. He would wait until I fell asleep. Um, and I think one of the fights that we had was that I didn't know what was happening, but he wasn't sleeping on the bed anymore. And he just, his response was, you know, it's just my time to relax. I like to be by myself in the middle of the night and relax. And I'm, I'm pretty sure his relaxing was, I think, I think at the beginning he would go to the car and do it. That's, that was my guess. Like he just, just in case he didn't want to get caught. And then towards the end, I think he got sloppy and he started doing it in the living room when I had gone to bed. Uh, the only reason that I'm saying this is because I started noticing that, you know, he would change and all of a sudden, like, there was, like, a belt in the living room. And I think it was, like, it's a belt doing the living room. Well, no, but one of Chris's claim to fames was that he never needed to tie off. Well, he had incredible good things, but he also did say that if he ever needed anything, he usually would use a belt. A, a belt. So the belt didn't magically go from the bedroom where he had left it to the to the to the living room the next day by magic you know like did you did you notice that you noticed the belt i noticed that i noticed that i thought it was strange and that was the day that i finally called his sister and i said something's off um i i don't know what what dominion knows but i found him that uh tuesday morning and I actually called his sister on Saturday. At that point, I was, there were too many things that told me there's something that is not right. Um, the main one was that he, he was gone the week before because he was doing a case where he was uh, working with somebody uh, for 24-7 and uh, helping this person. It was an emotional support case, somebody that needed to get to a hospital. And uh, he was basically 24 hours helping this person cope with whatever was happening. And and he, I know that on Friday he had to wake up at 3 a.m. to catch a flight to Houston. And then he came back from Houston 8, 8 p.m. or 9 p.m. that night. Um, he was traveling all day, and I was thinking he's going to get home and he's going to be exhausted. Um, he was very, very kind of all over the place. Like whenever I asked him questions, he wouldn't really respond. He would go on tangents about other things and get very animated and uh, as a a mental health professional like what he sounded to me was manic um and but but in retrospect that was probably the the one time he really exhibited being on coke you know like right let me ask you this let me let me stop you for a quick second uh you remember like it's got to have been four or five weeks ago now when he was acting strange, and he drove home from Great Barrington, and it was like eight in the morning, and he called his sponsor, and he thought he was talking to his, you know, that guy, that homeless guy, Dave, uh-huh, yes. and he also thought yes. he was talking to me while he was talking to yes. Dylan, and then he yes. got, and then Dylan's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And um, and uh, Ryan called me, 
And and then Dylan called me and he was like, Chris sounded totally fucked up. And then I start texting Chris like crazy because Todd had just died. And I got really like scared that Chris was already dead. And um, and yeah. I just start texting him and texting him and he's not responding. And then I was like, you know what? This is like serious because like I was just certain he was dead. Because, but I think like yeah. deep down, I knew his behavior had changed. And, uh, yeah. and, and I reached out to you and, um, and then you didn't get back to me quickly, but it was on Instagram or whatever. And he got back to me and he like, you know, he did the old Chris bullshit and I believed everything he said. And then he bullshitted Dylan and Dylan believed everything he said. And then he called me back and he got angry at me for mentioning it to you. Uh, because yeah. he was scared what kind of box it would open. And I said to him, if you're not using, who cares? Exactly, exactly, exactly. Like, I think by then he was already used. And I think uh, that was that was the week, the beginning of July, uh, the end of June. And I think by then he was already used. And I'm actually positive that he was. Um, I... That was when he have, was having the odd behavior of um, not going to sleep at night, staying up all night, and then acting just very strange in the mornings. Um, and I thought, you know, I know that people, after they spend after they spend like eighteen hours without sleep, twenty hours without sleep, they are they actually obviously um, sound almost like they're high, you know, like you are cognitively impaired after you spend so much time without sleep. And, and I was almost being naive, um, but I also had such faith in kids' recovery that it was just hard for me to to really, like, because every time he talked about drugs, like, he made it seem that if he ever did anything like that, it, it would only be because he wanted to die, because he knew that if he, if he relapsed again, like, he wasn't going to survive it. Um, and I really didn't really think... Uh, at first, I didn't. Like, the first week, I thought, well, I know he has this injury. It's really painful. He has a hard time sleeping. Like, he hasn't gotten any sleep because of it. Like, maybe, you know, that's why. Um, but now, looking back at it, I'm pretty sure he was using it already. It's just so fucked and, up that we, we were like, you know, you lived with him. I was very close with him. And in retrospect, it's fucking clear as day. You know, and at the time... Yeah, I mean, it is clear to us now, because he obviously, you know, died from an OD a few weeks, a few days ago. So now it's obvious. But at the time, at the time it wasn't as obvious, because Chris was, like, uh, historically just incredibly just... He didn't really have um, any sense of control once he started using and it became really obvious that he was using because he couldn't hide it. You know, I think I think it had been so long, and he'd been sober for so long, but I think I think the smart thing with him is he didn't touch alcohol. Um, he was smart enough to know that if he got drunk and he touched it, he knew that if he had one drink, he wouldn't be able to stop, and uh, and then he would be drunk, he would get drunk, and it'd be over. Um, and I think now he was smart enough to... Probably what I'm gonna guess is he either tried suboxone or some sort of opioids because of the pain, and and that kind of was like a slippery slope. But I think he always at the beginning thought 
uh, I'll use this for this and, and, I'll, and I'll stop it. And in reality, he just, once he started, he just, he didn't realize it, that he just wasn't, he just wasn't going to be able to, to stop. But and, how, how amazing, how crazy is that, that this guy who knew every aspect of recovery inside and out and, and, and could quote it like fucking scripture, like thought that he could take it and walk away from it. And, and you know, because that was Chris in a nutshell. Like he always, and we always talk about this, how like he just thought that the, the, the law of physics and, and like, almost like he always thought that gravity didn't apply to him, you know, we have, we had discussions and I would tell him, you know, like when we had fights, like, like, do you, why do you always have to resist things? Like he would, he would always like want to prove that somehow he's going to be the exception to things that, that, you know, like he got he got a paper from one of his professors back because he didn't do it the proper way, and the the professor kind of gave him a chance to to redo it, and then he redoes it, but he doesn't change anything that the professor's telling him to do. He just makes a few changes and sends it back, and he thinks it's hilarious, right? In a way, it is. He didn't care that he wasn't getting an A. He was okay with a B. He just was more upset that the that the professor was trying to give him a second chance to get an A. Um, and he just, that's how he was. He, he wanted to somehow prove that, that there was a different way to do things. And I think for addicts, I think, I think for, for, from knowing Chris and from the work I do and from know, knowing the, what I know about the disease, it's like for a lot of them, there's like this romantic, like people romanticize the idea of like, especially after being sober for a long time of like, well, maybe I can go back and do these drugs recreationally and not, like, flip. And the thing is, like, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a romantic idea. That's just not, the nature of the disease doesn't work that way. Once, you know, you, you, you're never going to be able to do drugs recreationally. You're never going to be able to drink socially. Those are things that are not going to apply to you ever again. But what and about the fact that, that, what about the fact that he could, explain that backwards and forwards and in fact have 142 episodes of a podcast where he says it for an hour a week and still you know it's like he was spiritually uh bereft at the time he was in pain and it was a perfect storm the second he put something into his body it was a perfect storm you know it was a perfect storm i also think that um that happened, and, and, and there was a lot of shame for him coming forward. I think, you know, I put myself in his shoes, and even though we had plenty of conversations where I told him, if you relapse, we'll deal with it, um, he was very scared of coming, of coming clean to me, to his parents. Like, he, I think, I think he couldn't bear um, the shame of, of working so hard for four, four and a half years and, and then having to, having to start from zero and basically, you know, like he, he having to cause pain to those around him again, but also most importantly, losing the trust that he had worked so hard to, to build, uh, with, with, I mean, not necessarily me because I never knew him. Um, I only met him in his sobriety. But um, but with his family and, and his his dad, his mom, and, and his siblings, I think I think that really, really, really just um, 
was something that was really hurting him inside. Well, I think he was uh, he was really struggling with his identity. Like he had become this person that people could count on. He had become this consistent student. He had become a boyfriend. He had become a manager of a sober house. He had become a, a responsible son who does what he says. He had become all of these things. And I think it scared him. And I think it was just a, a mix of things. I also don't think it was just his parents. I think he knew that if you found out, you would see the real him, which wasn't really the real him. It was his conception of the real him, which was just this addict. You know what I mean? And he yeah. wanted to be yeah. the man that y- he thought you saw. Do you know what I mean? And like, I, uh, I do, I do. Yeah. Let's 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 um, fast forward to um, to this weekend. Um. So yeah, so this weekend, um, he came back from Houston uh, Friday night, and um, I thought he was going to be exhausted. I was exhausted, and I didn't go to Houston. Uh, I just went to clinic and. I fell asleep around midnight, and he said he was going to uh, stay awake a few, a few, like a little bit longer. Um, I woke up early that, that, I mean, I tend to wake up early every day. I wake up at like five or six, um, so it's hard for me to like sleep in. But I woke up at, at around seven or eight, and he was still awake from the night before. <laughs> and I got very upset when I saw that. Um, what, on Saturday? He well, hadn't gone to sleep? Uh, Friday night? Yeah. Right. Yeah, he hadn't gone to sleep at all. And I, and, I, and I got really upset because I was like, well, of course, at that, at that specific point, I wasn't thinking drugs. Uh, but of but, course you should have been. It's like, who comes home from a fucking trip exactly. and it stays up all night? Exactly. If, and especially one exactly. whose drug of choice is IV Coke. It's like it's such exactly. an equ- it's such an equation that we did not see because we got so yeah. normalized to his bullshit. Yes, yes. So I got really upset that night. I mean that morning because we had plans that day, and I was like, "What are you going to do now? Like sleep all day?" It was my weekend off, um, and uh, we hardly ever had weekends together because he was working so much all the time on the weekends. And I asked, I asked to. I was like, well, like, nap a little bit, and we can go for a walk with the dog for about an hour or so, and then you can come home and sleep again. He napped until noon. We went for the walk with the dog, and he couldn't, like, he was so irritable. Like, normally we'll go for a couple hours, get something to eat, and he, we just walk, like, a few miles, and he wanted to come home. He was really upset, and he didn't want to get something to eat, and and I just thought it was really odd. Like, it's just one of those things that I couldn't even be mad at him because what he was saying didn't even make sense, and his attitude didn't make sense at all. And then we got home, and he started talking about being stressed out about money, and I'm just thinking, like, like I don't get how you're stressed out about money. Like, yes, we're both students. We live off student loans, and we're poor as fuck. We are going to be poor as fuck in a month or in two months. Like not to mention he had just made he had just made like six grand on that job, and and his parents and his parents paid his rent. It's like it's it's a joke, you know. That's what I was trying to tell him. Like, like we don't really have any expenses. Like our rent is taken care of. Like you're making this money. Like, like we're gonna be fine. Like we don't 
the, the lifestyle that we have is like we work all the time. We eat at home. Once in a while we eat out. Like we don't really need extra money. Like please just, just stop. But like, I guess, I guess he needed the money for fucking drugs. Yes. So when, when I heard him say all those things, I mean, I just started getting a bad feeling. And I just knew, okay, like, this is just too many things, too many things that seem random. And that was it. That was the day that I also saw the, the, the belt in the living room. And I just said, like, this is just not, this is too many things. This is no longer just random. This is more than just tiredness. Um, so I spoke with his sister. I spoke with Arden. And um, uh, Arden was concerned. And the next day, um, well, that we that was the night. That was also the night that we recorded the last Dopey episode, and he was yes, mental. He was mental. You know, he kept saying that he was fighting with you and he couldn't do the show, and he was fighting with you because you wanted him to go somewhere. And he didn't want to go. And then he went to the gym to get in the right mindset. But once we did the show, he looked just like shit, you know, and sounded, I mean, it sounded even worse. You know, everybody who listened to it is like, how could you not know? And uh, anyway, continue, please. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that day he was mad at me because I wanted to go to eat and go and finish the walk with the dog. And he was just appalled. Like, he was treating me like I don't know what I had asked him to do. And they think that took me off that something was wrong. It's like, you know, Chris was really reserved. And sometimes he wasn't social. And he didn't like doing things with friends and people. And I understood that. But he had never been like that when it was just the two of us. Especially if we hadn't seen each other for a whole week. Like, like when he came to us, like, he loved spending time with me. And he would spend time with me all the time with me and, with me and, and, and our dog. And... Um, that day he didn't want to and I was like this is really odd um, he doesn't want to go on a walk with us that's really odd we haven't seen him all day like he just wants to isolate and not spend we haven't seen him the entire week this is odd so that's when I call Arden and Arden is like well since he may be using he may not be he may be stressed like so she told me let's let's try to make a plan like I'll have my mom call him tomorrow and talk to him um, about, you know, if he's stressed out about money, if that's the source of the stress. And and then I'll just have Jeremy, who is somebody that it's close with them, come up and just give him a, a drug test. And um, so the next day, his mom called. We had a small fight because he was clearly upset that I had that I had talked to his sister. He was very upset, and he said that I had broken his trust, um, which was really hurtful to hear. But I just felt like under circumstances, I did the right thing, and um, we all confronted him about it. His, his mom, his dad, his sister, and he denied that anything was happening. He just said he was really tired, just that would work, and that of course he wasn't using, and that. Um, he will never do that to them again, et cetera. And then we just organized a meeting for us to meet so, you know, we can go over a budget so he wouldn't be so stressed out about finances because he made it seem like he was just really stressed out about finances, especially because we were in a couple now and we were a family and 
he just wanted to be able to provide, and it was hard for him with school and everything. He just felt a constant sense of guilt. But that's so weird because him. he had just made more money than he had made in months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like and much the, more, much more money than he yeah. had made in maybe the year. In months. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. So um, we had that talk with his parents, and he seemed to be fine, and he seemed to be in a better mood. And he slept all day. And then he woke up at night and he was, again, very mad at me. Like, I had trust, I had broken stress, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, and then I told him, I don't know if I can do this. And he's like, like, what I was referring to, I can do this, is like, you know, you know you have a pretty bad history of addiction. So you need to understand that if you start acting weird and it goes on for weeks, like, I need to know that I have the right to contact your sister, and I have the right to ask you and confront you about using. Because you have such a bad history of addiction that it has to be, like, I can't take you at your word. Well, but the thing is, Annie, saying something the thing is, else. though, if he wasn't using, he would have said, of course. Exactly. Exactly. No, now it's so clear, right? If he was using, he would have been like, of course. You know, but because he was using, he was being very, very, very defensive about it and making me feel really bad. And he's like, oh, well, but um, you, when you decided to be with me, you decided to be with an addict, so it's not fair that that you are uh, saying these things to me. Like, like, what if I relapse? relapse you're gonna leave I'm like of course and I remember really sitting next to him and I had made this dinner I had made tacos and he was eating tacos stuffing his <laughs> stuffing himself with them and I sat next to him and I told him I love you like of course I'm gonna stay with you no matter what happens like I'm just worried about you you know worry about your safety like in that night I remember vividly having a conversation with him where I told him I'm just really scared of losing you and he promised me that he was never like not to worry that he wasn't I was he wasn't gonna lose I wasn't gonna lose him. And went to sleep. Um the the weird behaviors continued. Um he would randomly be like, I need to go to my car and I was like, What is he and he would do that like, you know, frequently enough that I started getting worried. He was also walking the dog more than normal, you know, like which was odd like we usually walk the dog twice a day but he was taking him out and walks a lot more than usual and I just felt like it was almost an excuse anyhow of course um, he would complain to me about walking the dog he was just he was was running such a scam and like the other thing just to interject for a second is that you know in all the time that I had talked with him and we had done the show about recovery you know, the idea of relapsing, it was never even on the table. Like, that's why I was so, that's why I was in such disbelief when it all went down. Because he never said, if I relapse, blah, blah, blah. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just like, yeah. ugh. Yeah. And, and I mean, I'm very naive, obviously. And, um, and obviously, also, he's right. And any addict can fucking relapse. And, and I... And it's, you know, it's just so sad. It's very hard to deal with the whole story. But keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, so um, on Monday I went to clinic. I came back. I had a really long day on Monday. came back actually quite late. I didn't make it home until 8 p.m. after I had left at 6 a.m. 
And I said, you know, goodbye to him. He was still sleeping and came home at 8, 8 p.m. and he had made dinner. He made me, like, some vegetable thing, like some, I think, dumplings. Like, I had dinner and we had dinner and we were just having a nice time. I was studying and he was watching TV or he was in his computer. And all of a sudden, like, he started getting really agitated saying that you were mad at him, that you needed to go to, he needed to go to New York on Saturday. Like, just, like, very out of proportion. Um, and and I, I was like, you know, I'll just go to sleep. We'll talk tomorrow. And he didn't want to go to sleep. He started a fight. And, and he normally, I mean, we, we had fights like any couple. You know, like, Annie, you didn't, you didn't mention when the drug test happened. Oh yeah, yeah. So I forgot about this. On Monday, on Monday at noon, I actually came home. I had a meeting, so I had to. I came home after my meeting to have lunch, and uh, the person showed up that was going to do the the drug test. He didn't know that they were, he was doing a drug test. He thought he was coming out for something else, and he did a drug test on him. And it was a saliva drug test. Um, and I didn't think anything of it at that point. I, I mean, he took the test. Um, it was in front of me and he did seem to be kind of um, upset because uh, he kept repeating afterwards like wow like I thought he wasn't going to do that um, and I, 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 I didn't think anything of it because he, he would get drug, text, drug tested quite often did you know, he know did he know the second Jeremy came over that he was going to have to drug test no, he didn't know because Jeremy was originally coming over to pick up some stuff. So it was like and a kind of like a fucking secret mission kind of thing. Almost, yeah. It was almost like he wasn't prepared, and 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 it's going to become more clear uh, why. Also, it was a saliva test that you do in front of the person, so there's really no way of faking it. Um, drug test, drug tests that are urine are easier to fake, uh, but there's no way to. To, to fake a saliva test because they literally it's like putting a thermometer under your under your under your your mouth under your tongue for a few seconds and that's it so it's really like the only thing about a, 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 that type of test is that it only it only like if you did something a week before it's not gonna show it only shows what's been in your system for the last 72 hours uh, uh, urine test may show like something that's been in your system for longer. Um, so the saliva test would only show 72 hours? Yes. Okay. And um, I, came, I, came, I came home again at 8. Like I said, we were having a good night, and all of a sudden, like, he got upset, and he was just, it was just him trying to pick up a fight, and I, I tried to kind of just diffuse the situation but he wasn't really having it and um, he started saying really hurtful things and um, he you know he, he knows he knows my buttons and he knows how to push them and it got to the point where I was like okay I, I need to go because this is just getting just really bad and it, it was like 1am and we were still fighting and I had a presentation that had to be at work really early and um I said to him, "Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go stay at my mom's um, for tonight, and and we'll talk about it tomorrow." 
And at first he was kind of okay with it, but then he started getting really upset. And I'm not going to get into the details, but he kind of, normally, like, he would be like, okay, don't go, let's talk. Um, but no, he, he really wanted me out of there. He wanted me out of there quickly, too. He's like, I don't want you to wait until your mom picks you up. I want you, I want to order an Uber. Um, and, and in fact, he, now that I think about it, he didn't want to wait. So he's like, I'm just going to go. And he left. And I'm pretty sure that he left because he couldn't wait to use. He knew he couldn't use while I was still there. Um, so, so he was trying to get me into an Uber so I would leave earlier, faster. It's weird though. It's so weird because during this fight, he was calling me, you know, he called me like, he he called me like three times during this fight. And when your mother was coming over or whatever, like, this is the one piece of the story that I find to be odd. You know, I agree. It sounded like he was running downstairs to get high and he was trying to get you out of the house. I've been in that situation before where I've literally done the same thing, um, getting somebody away from me so I could get high, you know. Um, Uh But he called me then, you know, and it's like, why did he call me? You know what? Maybe he called me after he got high because he sounded crazed and he was like, yeah. call, he was like, call me in an hour. It was like midnight and he was like, call me at one. Uh, I, I'm bugging out and I don't want to see Annie's mother and Annie's leaving and I don't want to see her mom and just call me in an which, hour. Which doesn't make any sense because there's no way he would have seen my mom. You know, like, my mom is picking me up, I'll go downstairs. Like, but, like, why call me? The apartment. You know, why call me yeah. at that point? It doesn't make any, it just, it just was, I, I think he was just on drugs, you know? He, no, no, I, I think he was. I, I do legitimately think he was. Um, he, he didn't make any sense. And in fact, in the middle of that fight, he said, I need to go downstairs to, to, to walk Sammy and talk to Dave. And... I, I don't know if he used drugs then, if he used drugs before. I, I, I really don't know exactly what happened. But what I can tell you is that I I had a really bad feeling that night. I couldn't fall asleep at all. I, I texted you. I asked you to please check on Chris because he wasn't. I was texting him and he wasn't responding to my text. And um, I woke up at 6 a.m. I saw your text that you had spoken with Chris and he said he was fine. I had a text from Chris that said good morning. Because he knew I usually woke up at 6.30, so... Um, he texted he you at 6.30? Yeah, he texted me, well, 6.17. Right. And he said, good morning. And uh, and I texted him back, and I was like, I, I, you know, I wasn't able to sleep at all either. And he never responded, which, you know, I, I figured maybe he fell asleep or whatever. So I went I went to school. I had my meeting at the hospital, and I wasn't, gonna, I wasn't planning on going home, but I was like, you know... I want to fix whatever happened tonight, and I'm just going to take the more the rest of the morning off instead of studying. I'm I'm just going to go take the rest of the morning off. And I went home, and I I, I mean I know everybody says this, uh, but I just had this really bad feeling. Um, and I don't know if you want me to elaborate on 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 how it was walking into the apartment. Yeah, you might or as you well. Rather no, you might as well. Yeah, so I I. I, we usually don't lock our door, so the door wasn't locked. And I walk in. The first thing I see is his shoes, so I figure, okay, he's here. His vape was on the counter. Uh, 
But something I also want to say is that he, he also stopped vaping. He hadn't been vaping for two weeks, which was really odd. Why? Um, I think there's some... I, to me, it's odd. I mean, he vapes like crazy. and then No, but why did he stop vaping? vaping? Well, he was, probably, which he probably was using. But what is and using and vaping? Why, didn't I, why wouldn't he use and vape at the same time? I don't know, but he just wasn't vaping. That is really weird. Was he allowed he to vape on that trip to also, Texas? He didn't. He didn't vape at all on his trip to Texas. And he, he never mentioned that. He never mentioned that to me. He didn't. I mean, he was in a weird fucking way. But anyway, keep going. Sorry. He also. He also didn't want to have sex, which was really, really odd. Really, extremely odd. I'm not sure if this is too much information, but I know that when people are in drugs, their sex drive is not the same. Right. And so, like, that's when I say that there were all these little things that was like, okay, like, something's up. Um, and then what ended up happening was I walked into the apartment, I see the shoes are there, and the vape is there, the keys are there. So I know he's not gone anywhere, he must be somewhere. So I look at the couch, he's not sitting on the couch. So I was thinking, oh, he's probably sleeping on the bed. And then I look at the bed, and he's not there. And then I'm like, well, I'm going to the bathroom. I go into the bathroom. He's not there. And that's when I start panicking. And and as I walk into the bedroom, uh, on the side of of the bed, I found him um, dead. I knew right away he was dead. Um, one of the benefits of being in the medical field is that you can tell right away when somebody's dead, um, i.e., Everything after that is somewhat foggy. I was pretty dissociated, and uh, uh, I just remember screaming. I, I don't. I didn't cry or anything. I would probably scream for a good twenty minutes. Um, I I knew we had Narcan at home because we always kept Narcan everywhere, and I got the Narcan. But I knew it was too late. I just I, I just had to do it because. It was like the only thing I could do at the, at the moment. I called 911. How did you administer the Narcan? How? Yeah. Nasally. Okay. Nasally to the nose. Um, and um, he was blue and stiff. Like he was, he had already been dead for at least three hours. So probably um, he texted you, good morning. He texted me that he's alive, you know, that was one of his texts. Um, and then you think he died right after that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure right after that he used. And I can guarantee that whatever he used um, had fentanyl. And he had gotten lucky at that point because when his suck screen came back, not not the autopsy one, the one that he, that he did on Monday when he still was alive, uh, came back positive for heroin, uh, suboxone, and cocaine. So at that point, he didn't have any fentanyl in his system. And what I'm gonna guess is whatever he got his hands on had a lot of fentanyl, and he probably got, you know, adventurous, and he used, he said, he probably thought, well, if he had been using for, for a few weeks, he thought that he could probably do the same amount, or maybe he had been trying to be careful before, and now he was like, I can probably increase it. I'm not really sure exactly what he did, but, uh, there was a lighter and there was a, a spoon, and that's all I saw. Um, I didn't see a needle. I, I, I mean, at the time I was just screaming and 
the person on the other line, 911 person, was just trying to keep calm me down right. until the EMS and the police got there, which we live, we used to live next to the police station so and next to the hospital, so it didn't take more than maybe four minutes. Um, and I, I left the apartment and I had to have somebody literally hold me down because I was screaming so much that our neighbors were coming out. Um, of their apartments, and uh, I don't remember talking very much. I couldn't really talk. I couldn't really answer questions. Um, the the EMS came back, came out, and confirmed that he was dead. And then I called his family, um, and the police talked to them, and and that was it. Um, I I spent the rest of the day in a daze, and, and I think I haven't gotten any worse but I, I haven't really gotten any better. I, well, you called me You called me at around 10.30. Um, yeah. And I was just leaving my house uh, with Linda and the baby, and, uh-huh. um, and you called me and you said, you know, you were totally in a daze, and you said, yeah. uh, Chris is dead. Uh, I just found his body. And I thought yeah. you were out of your mind insane. And yeah. I said, and I said, don't say that. I said, it's not funny. I thought you were in a fight with him and you were like totally crazy. You know, like I was, I was sure of it. Okay. And, yeah, and, yeah, I really wish, I, I, I really wish that this wasn't happening and that was just crazy. No, of course. I can't imagine but, it in but, reality. But I I'm, really wish that. I'm standing in the street. And, and Linda saw my face, and she goes, what happened? She said, who? And I said, I, and then you kept talking. But I, I had decided yeah. that you weren't telling the truth, that you were crazy, and that Chris was still alive. Because this is the denial. This is how deep my denial of everything was. That, you know what I mean? I had yeah. known, basically, I had known he had used. I had, uh, I had known his behavior had been totally sketch. The night before, he was insane on the phone with me. You know, he was on the phone with yeah. me until the end and crazy. And still, I didn't put it together. You told me he was dead and still I didn't put it together. And then I got off the, you got to get off the phone with me because I was just, I didn't make any sense either, I don't think. And, um, and, uh, and Linda goes, uh, is, you, is Chris dead? And I said, well, Annie said she's dead, he's dead, but I don't think he's dead. And I picked up the phone and I called him. And um, and then I just sat on my porch, just unwilling to believe he had died until uh, until Arden responded to me, you know. And and yeah. that, that's how I mean. It's like I talked to my sponsor about everything that had happened, and he talked about like my denial of the situation, like from the beginning. That here we had a friend who was an addict who is basically quacking, has webbed feet, and is waddling, and I refuse to say it's a duck. You know, like, yeah. and yeah. it's just so crazy. It's just, I think what I'm, I'm really what I'm trying to get at for our listeners, you know, if you, if you see somebody who, who you know is an addict and they start acting out of character, it's very, even if they're clean five years, it's very likely that, um, they're yeah. relapsed, you know? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And obviously, like, we, I mean, I know how much you love Chris. 
And I know how much Chris loved you. And, um, and I know how much, uh, you know, Chris's life was in very, very full swing. You know, I know that, oh. he, I know that he loved, uh, doing this show and I, I just, I, I just know that he didn't do it on purpose. I don't, there's, do you don't think there's any way he did it on purpose? Do you? No, not at all. Not at all. I think, I think to be honest with you, I think what happened was that he knew that test was going to come back positive, the the Monday test, and he knew he was going to come back positive probably next day, Tuesday or Wednesday. And it actually, I think, came out. Yeah, we got it Wednesday morning, I believe, or Tuesday night. So he knew that he didn't have that much time to get high again, because once that that came back positive, he knew he was going straight to to rehab. Um, and I think he just wanted to get high one more, one last time, and he got in. He either did too much. Um, he either did too frequent, or he probably got the wrong stuff. You know, like I'm pretty sure it was fentanyl what he got. Um, and it's a, you never know. That nowadays you you buy a batch of whatever of like what you think is heroin, and it's not heroin. It's fentanyl, and it's you never know how he's caught or how, how pure it is. How like it's it's like playing a Russian roulette and I think um, a lot of a lot of the listeners know that. Like a lot of the a lot of people a lot more people are overdosing now than they were ten or twenty years ago. Not because more people are using, not because they're using fewer quantities, is because we have fentanyl running like on the streets and it's a very, very, very dangerous drug and a, just a little bit of it sends you on an overdose like right away and if you don't have anybody with you to administer Narcan right away and a lot of times Narcan is actually not enough like sometimes you have to go to three or four through three or four Narcans to get somebody to wake up like it's not it, it's it's that's what's really killing people I mean addiction has been around for decades I mean Addiction has been around since since, the, the, since humankind has been around. The reason as Chris would say, as Chris would say, addiction has been around since man stomped grape. That's what Chris yeah, like yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, you always say that, and it's true. It's 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 in your DNA, and 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 the only difference is like now the addiction substances that you do kill you. Yeah. And I think for Chris, is he had been sober for, for for long enough that that he kind of, the, the, the wave of, of overdoses that have happened in the past few years with fentanyl, which is a huge problem that I see all the time in the hospital. I mean, I, two weeks ago I had a kid, a, a kid that was 22 years old and for his 17th overdose. Um, it's just, it just, they're more common and more common now because we have fentanyl out on the streets and, and fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that, I mean, it's so potent that, I mean, fentanyl is so potent like, that's, that's that's something that you use almost to anesthetize the person. You, you know you knock them out. You, you completely depress their respiratory system and they cannot breathe on their own and that's why they die because they get so high that your brain forgets to, to breathe. breathe on their own. Well, you're talking about, and, you're talking about street kids or street dealers who are, who are left to be responsible for these incredibly crazy ratios of the most powerful chemical ever 
and, no, it's not even it's not even it's not even the kids' responsibility. Like I don't know. I mean, I'm always up to date with all this stuff, but the, the, the biggest issue is, is, is fentanyl has been actually produced in China. Right. And there's all these people in China that are like produced in this synthetic fentanyl because actually fentanyl making synthetic fentanyl in China is legal. And then somehow this fentanyl is making it all the way to the U.S. Why? Because it's cheaper. So well, a tiny bit goes no, a long way is the deal. Exactly. A tiny bit goes a long way, but, you know, they, 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 I think they sell it to you, the percentage of you as heroin, and they probably mix some heroin too with the fentanyl. But when you're cutting a bunch of heroin, like you don't know how, how much of it it's fentanyl and how much it's not. And, and fentanyl has been mixed with a lot of things, too. Like, it's been mixed with coke as well. I, a lot of my patients, um, we joke in the hospital that coke is not what it used to be because a lot of the coke gets mixed with fentanyl. It's just that you don't feel it as much because coke is an upper, fentanyl is a downer. So, like, you just don't get as high on coke as you normally would because there are traces of fentanyl in it. But there's the traces are enough that... We have a lot of patients who wouldn't have a problem telling me what they're on, and they swear to me they haven't they haven't used fentanyl, but the, the screen is positive, and they they swear that they only did crack or they swear they only did coke, and and, and, and an addict at that level, the type of addict I work with, like at, the, at that moment they're not going to lie to me about the fentanyl. And not to you know, mention like not to like, mention that Chris was using heroin and coke, both of which could have been cut with the fentanyl. Exactly. Exactly. Oh yeah. So, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just, it's so sad because he talked about it so many times on the show that if, you know, if we had used in an age of fentanyl, we'd probably be dead. And I was just, I just never thought it was possible that he would use in the age of fentanyl and be dead. And because, and that's just, you know, he, that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Yes. Um. I, I mean, I'm completely heartbroken because I know that this disease is really, it's really hard. And for a lot of people out there, it feels like a curse and something that it takes all of, it sucks all of the strength to stay sober. And recovery is something that you have to do every day of your life until you die if you want to stay sober. It's not something that you do for a little bit and then you're good. You know, no, it's it's a chronic illness that requires chronic care. Right. And and it is really painful for the people that suffer it because, not only because of the stigma, but because I think it's very hard for others to understand uh, the severity of what you go through, the craving, the fact that you have almost, you lose almost your agency to a degree, especially when you are actively using um and getting away from it and getting clean is, is, I think, the hardest thing that an addict can do. Like, it is extremely hard, not only physiologically speaking, but psychologically speaking. I mean, it is very, very hard. And then there is the added hardness of staying sober. Um, and then, and then I, there's where Chris was, who had gotten sober, stayed sober had a routine of sobriety, but didn't keep... I mean, right before I had you call, I played a clip from the interview he had done on that show 
where he said, if I don't go to meetings, uh, I have hours before I could be relapsed. If I don't, you know, do the self-care that you were talking about when you first came on, he's vulnerable to this, as we all are. You know, I'm, I'm a drug addict, yeah. and I need to, you know, you cannot do X, Y, and Z for, for so long, and that's when all of that stuff kicks in. For me, it comes in as anxiety yeah. and neuroses, and I start overthinking stuff in a way that just doesn't make sense, and I know that I need to start working my program a little more. You know, and it's yeah. like, and it's a very innocuous thing for me, you know, but if I don't kick in the program, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel very confident that I'm not going to get high. Like, I feel very confident that I'm not going to use, but I also love, I know that Chris loved being sober. I, I think that he replaced, I think that things got fucked up for him and confusing, you know? I think that things got very fucked up for him and confusing. I, I don't know. I, I, I'll have to defer that to you. I, I think a lot of what you're saying is true. Um, I try to pinpoint the exact time of what happened. I mean, this is really hard for me because he's not a stranger. He's like my boyfriend and not only a boyfriend. I feel like boyfriend is, is just not quite, doesn't quite like. He was your partner. He was your partner. meant to me, exactly. He was, he was my life partner. Like, like we were going to spend the rest of our lives together that was our plan and 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 we wanted to you know move to New York and finish our our training and work together in substance abuse because that's 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 something we felt so passionate about and um and have a family and do all these things and and we're working towards all those goals and and I want to say that to me Chris the Chris I met the Chris I fell in love with was kindest most beautiful human being. Um, he made me feel loved uh, in a way that I didn't think anybody could feel. I, I, he made me feel like like loved, true love, unconditional love. It does exist. It is a thing. I didn't really believe in it necessarily until until Chris. And he really made me feel like I was the most important thing to him. Um, and I know he tried so hard to beat this disease and and it got the best of him, and I think he got scared for whatever reason, I don't know. Obviously, because it is something so personal to me, there's a lot of feelings of guilt of, well, if I hadn't gone to my mom's that night, if I had stayed, if I had if I had done this or done that, or done all these other things differently, and, and, and I should have noticed it earlier, you know, like, right. I think everybody close to Chris is going through those emotions now. Uh, because it, it just this death feels so 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 meaningless, um, and then, and there are other people that try to find meaning on on, on his death, and, and it just you know I respect everybody's way of dealing with this, but it's very hard for me to find meaningless. I mean, to find meaning on this to me it just feels so meaningless. Um, well, the only meaning, and forgive me for saying this, the only meaning in this is that an addict who uses drugs can die. That's the meaning yeah, in this, yeah. you know, but that's, that's no, I mean, I that's not that. meaningful to you and I, because we lost one, you know, one of our best friends, you lost your partner. You know, I lost uh, my partner in Dopey, not that it's my life partner, but this was very meaningful to us, you know? Yeah. And, and of course yeah. I don't, you know, I'm not comparing the loss or anything, but for somebody else, 
you know, who's on the fence about, you know, who's in recovery and who's on the fence about using and here's Chris's story, it, maybe it's meaningful to them, you know? I really hope so. Maybe, maybe like, that's where there's meaning in this. If, if I, if I, cause, I mean, I don't know how many of the Dopey Nation knows, like, I am in medical school, but my, my, I'm on the track to, to become a psychiatrist specifically because I want to help people with mental health issues and addictions. And that's how Chris and I basically met. Um, and if I could help one person, and one person can hear Chris' story and it's about to realize, but instead goes to a meeting. Um, you know, it's like, that's the only way that I can make that his death can have any meaning. You know, that, that people understand that recovery work is never done. You're never done with it. Even when you think that you are, like, on top shape, then you should be going on meetings even more. Um, it, it, takes, it takes a lifetime of work if you really want to. And it's unfair. I'm not saying it's unfair that some people, like, you know, it's like, it's unfair that some people are addicts and others are not. Um, but that's just the way it is. And you can't change that. You can change the fact that you're an addict, but there are tools and ways to treat your addiction. And I know that Chris, wherever he is, if there is an afterlife, he would regret what happened. Yes. Yes. You know, he would, he would be like, what did I do? Like, he would be like, what he would be like is I can't believe I was so stupid, you know? And he, and and it's like, he did believe in an afterlife and he believed that people, people saw, you know, that if he said it on Dopey, I mean, that's the other thing. In the last four episodes of Dopey, he talked about the afterlife in the last four episodes. He talked about his father looking down at him. I made fun of him for it. You know, he talked about like all sorts of afterlife stuff. Artie Lang made fun of him about it. If there's an afterlife, Chris is watching this right now and he's like, Annie's talking way too long. He's like, he's giving me the sign to, to stop the episode because it's gone on too long. Um, really? Which is like totally. I think, that... I think he better shut up. <laughs> he left. So. No, of course. The least I can have is however long I want. No, totally. I'm joking. Totally. But I know Chris. Chris would fucking, you know, like to sit here in this kitchen and do the show without him, it's just. Uh, it's so fucking sad because the show wasn't just a show. The show was about overcoming addiction through joy and fun. You know, it was about yeah. it was about yeah. like enjoying recovery and us being able to be uh, living examples of enjoying recovery. And now we're doing this episode without him because he's dead because he couldn't because he, he couldn't not use you know, and the drugs are too you strong. Know, and the, the thing is, like, okay, fine, he relapsed. He used. He had so many opportunities to come forward. I talked to him all weekend. I asked him so many times. You talked to him. You asked him so many times. Arden asked him so many times. His mom called him. His dad called him. Dylan. He could have come clean to any of us at any time. You know, no questions asked. Like, if he got sober once, that means he can get sober again. You know, like, 
However, he didn't. Not to mention and that if he had done that, if he had done that, he would be someplace right now getting reinvigorated. You know, he would call it going back to the source. He would be going back to the source. He'd be getting tapped back into to God, into spirituality, and he'd be able to come out swinging and fighting like he never could before. But instead, he swept it under the rug and he, you know, he can't come back. And it's just, it's terrible. It's heartbreaking. It is, you know, I, I know that my life will never be the same. My life will always be before Chris and after Chris. Right. And I, I mean, I, I know this is like, grieving this is going to be the hardest thing I'll ever do. Um, all I can do is try my best to continue his legacy and to help addicts and and try to treat this awful disease. And, and it just enrages me that we had to lose people uh, this way. You know, now now I saw it all the time on, on my patients, but now, now it has affected me directly. Like, I've lost the most important person in my life, and my life is never going to look the same. Um, I can't even go back to our apartment. I Where are you now? You know, I, I'm the same with my parents. And I'm probably going to live here for a few months because I just can't bear. I'm not going to, I mean, I can't bear going back there. I'm not living there anymore. I'm, I'm ending the lease. Um, but I, I really can't be alone. Like, I know probably now on the phone I sound very put together, but this thing comes in waves and no, I, I, I can't bear to be, I can't bear to be alone. Like, I, I feel like I, I have to be at work doing something or I have to be at home with my mom or I have to be somewhere with my sister or with my dog because I can't bear to be alone. It's too hard. Um, every single stupid thing reminds me of Chris, and I miss him more than words can describe. And I, and I think it's just so recent that I just don't really think it has sunk in yet, the, the, the reality of how definitive his passing is going to be. Like, he really is gone for good. I know, um, I know. And that's something that I actually can't quite grasp yet. Um, I know what you mean. I think I, with I, time, I think with time I will, and and it's going to be painful. And I, I don't have a timeline. There's no timeline when it comes to this thing. It, 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 it's probably going to be months to years, you know? And and I don't even know the, the person I'm going to be then because I know I'm not going to be the same person. Right. Um, you know, that's that's... That's just how it is when somebody close to you dies this way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, when when the news came, I I got angry about it, and then the next morning I woke up, and um, you know I felt the day between the last time I had spoken to him. You know what I mean? I felt the distance, and I was like, it just felt like. It was becoming real. And then this morning yeah. I woke up and I could hear his voice in my head like we were yeah. like we were doing the show. I could f- hear his voice. Yeah. And um, and then I kind of woke up and it was another day since I had spoken to him. And it just it's like it's like liquid becoming solid. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. like you move yeah. away from this liquid feeling to this cold, solid truth 
that he is never going to come back and and it's over you know and yeah. it's just uh it's it's awful and I'm incredibly sorry for for what for you and I'm sorry for his family and um and I and I and I'm sorry for me and I'm sorry for everybody his friends everybody because we all loved him because yeah. he was amazing yeah, he was- he was so loved. I, I, don't, I don't think he quite understood how loved he was. No, he didn't. And he, and he was so loved and so special and so... Uh, he was just like a, a magical creature from uh, not... He was like anachronistic. He was like not from our time. He was just like he did not... He almost didn't belong in this world in a way because he was so unusual. Do you know what I mean? He was just an yeah, unusual yeah. person. What made him amazing was... He was so sensitive, so, so, in a good way. I don't mean sensitive in a bad way. He was sensitive to other people's needs and feelings, and he could, he could just see it so clearly, you know? And he was, oh, he would always try so hard to make everybody comfortable, sometimes to his own detriment. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? And, and I think people like that are very rare. Yeah. Very rare. Yeah, and I feel very, I know that. It's really painful to be like that. You, you, you're constantly in pain. That's for sure. Or, I mean, I know that um, we were, I know that I was very lucky to be able to do this with him for three years. You know, I met him in rehab years ago and I was very lucky to, to, to experience it, you know, and, I, and I'm very grateful for that, you know, and I'm grateful for what we built. And I mean, if you saw all the things that people wrote about him, it was like it's pretty fucking crazy, you yeah. know. It was a it was a lot of response from people that didn't even know him that could just feel who who he was, you know. Yeah. But um, I think we should stop. I just that's the last thing I want to say. It's like there's a lot of people that have reached out to me too online and to everybody that has reached out. Uh, directly to me or to the Dopey page. Like, I just want to thank them uh, for taking the time to send their condolences. I know that today, even to me, it means the world um, to hear that and to know that so many people love Chris and he impacted so many people's lives. Totally. So thank you. Yes. And, um... You know, um, thanks for, for calling in, Annie, and telling us the story, as hard as it was. Of course. Of and, course. Uh, and I'll see you over the weekend. Sounds good. I'll see you over the weekend. Okay. Bye, everybody. Good night. Bye. So, you know, that's the story. Um... I wanted to read a bunch of things, but it, it's so late. Um, and uh, I think it's more powerful just to stop right there. So um, we'll just end it the way we always end it. And we'll say, uh, stay strong, Dopey Nation. And um, I said I would never say this, but uh, Chris is dead. So I'll say toodles for Chris. And uh, we love you. And uh, everybody out there, please try to take care of yourself.